0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who comes so that we might have faith. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how many of you have ever watched an Alfred Hitchcock movie? Wow, that's way more than what I actually expected. I thought it was going to be like one person. Oh, I have. Uh, And if you've seen an Alfred Hitchcock movie, not the TV shows, but if you've seen an Alfred Hitchcock movie, you have probably seen Alfred Hitchcock in the movie. Because Alfred Hitchcock was one of these directors, sort of like Quentin Tarantino, who uh, wrote himself cameo appearances into a lot of his movies. And so um, uh, something like 39 out of 53 of his movies, he makes a cameo appearance somewhere in the movie. And usually it's kind of a side character, maybe even a non-speaking role. But uh, since Alfred Hitchcock looks like Alfred Hitchcock... (laughs) You kind of recognize him and you go, oh, oh, yeah, there he is. And in a lot of ways, that is the role that the apostles and the disciples have in the scriptures. They have this kind of supporting cast role. They have this role where the story is not really about them. The story is about Jesus. And yet they get to be in the frame. They get to be the people that are in the midst of what that. Uh, What that show is all about, what that story is all about. And in a lot of ways, because we are like his disciples, because we are like his apostles, that's our role as well. That our role is to be somebody who is in the frame of Jesus's story. That we're making cameo appearances. That when in the resurrection, in the great movie house that exists in the resurrection, that, uh, you know, maybe we'll go and we'll go and we'll watch movies and we will see you, home movies uh, of God, we will see you. In some of those, and you'll be making these cameo appearances, and you'll say, oh my goodness, there's my friend, or oh, look at that, they, there's me, I'm in, you know, this scene, here is the minute and the second in which I show up. And so as we start to consider what it means to be in that cameo role, we started off with this person who, uh, his cameo role, we're kind of not sure that we want to fill those shoes. This guy named Thomas, who uh, we know is Doubting Thomas, and yet that's really not kind of a, a you know, favorable understanding of who this guy is. None of us want to be known as you know, Doubting Jay. We want to be known as, well, Jehu has faith. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of funny that we say that Thomas is doubting Thomas because this is actually his second appearance in uh, this, this movie of the story of Jesus Christ. He shows up in the very first at the scene where Jesus is about to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. And as Jesus is about to go and raise Lazarus from the dead, there's this interesting interchange between Jesus and Thomas. Jesus says that he is going to have to go and see Lazarus because Lazarus has died. And Jesus knows that he's going to be going there and he is going to raise him from the dead. And all of the disciples are kind of worried about this because that's not really a safe move for Jesus. Jesus is putting himself in a little bit of danger there because there are people who live around Lazarus who want to see Jesus dead. And so when the disciples are kind of back and forth with Jesus, all of a sudden Thomas comes out and he says, well, I will go and die with you, Jesus. I mean, it's like a scene out of Braveheart. (laughs) Thomas, the twin, ready to go and die with Jesus. And that's who we want to be in our cameo appearance, right? We want to be the one who's right there next to Jesus, blue face paint and all. Ready to say, I'm ready to go and die with you, Jesus. And then he shows up in this scene that we just read, the scene where he's off doing something. We don't know what, but... He's off doing something when Jesus appears to the disciples and he says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his side. And then Thomas seems to come back a little bit later after Jesus has left. And after he he comes back, all of the disciples are abuzz and they're saying, well, you wouldn't believe what we just saw. We saw Jesus and he showed us his hands and he showed us his side. And it had to be Jesus. We know that it was him. And Thomas goes, "Eh, I I don't think so. And there's a little bit of understanding that I have of Thomas because I think Thomas and I are alike in some ways here. Because I kind of have this tendency to um, have have this weird relationship with, with what people's expectations are. And so I am the person who, if somebody says, well, this is completely impossible, we'll never be able to do this. I am always the person who says, in that situation, let's do it. I know we can do it. I am positive. If everybody else thinks that this isn't going to happen, I know for sure that it will. Because I will be on the team. We'll get this thing going. I'll start assigning people. We'll make it happen. But then in other situations where people are like, well, this is a sure thing. This is, you know, this is absolutely going to happen. I kind of step back from that and go, well, eh, we'll see. <laughs> and, and what that is, is it's it's really what Jesus accuses Thomas of its faith in the negative, its belief in the negative. It is disbelieving rather than believing It's this sense of, well, whatever everybody else thinks, I'm not going to think that way. And I think sometimes we get convinced that that is what faith in Jesus is all about. That if everybody else thinks that Jesus doesn't exist or or that Jesus wasn't really the Savior or that whatever, that we then, in our choice for the negative, in believing that since everybody else doesn't see Jesus as Savior, he must be. And we kind of get wrapped up in that sense of of belief that, well, this is about me not believing in what everybody else believes. It was like we understood those peer pressure lessons from middle school really too well. And so there's this, this sense in us that we go, well, if everybody else believes it, then I don't. And that seems to be where Thomas is at here. Where Thomas is saying, well, everybody else believes this, so I need proof. I, I need something to be shown to me. And what he wants is he, he wants this firm reason. And that kind of is kind of escaping this realm of belief. Instead, he's saying, well, I don't believe this, but you can trump me by showing me. Evidence. And evidence and belief are, well, they're close to one another, but they're not exactly the same thing. And so when Thomas says, I want evidence rather than I want belief, that's when Jesus shows up in his life. And Jesus shows up in his life and he says, Hey, Thomas, put your hand in there, it'll feel gross. Oh, put your hand in here. It'll feel grosser. I mean, have you ever thought about the idea of sticking your hand into Jesus' side? Yeah. But what does Thomas do? I've always thought that this was interesting. What does Thomas do? Does he stick his finger into Jesus' side? No. No. Because all of a sudden, Thomas doesn't need evidence. Because he has belief. He has faith. He is able to, on his own, without receiving evidence, he is able to say, I believe that you are truly Jesus. I don't need to test this anymore. I simply have faith. I have faith that if I put my hand into your hand, that I would feel That there was a real hole there, and I would feel that there was a real hand there. And I believe that if I put my hand into your side, I would be able to squeeze your spleen or something. I mean, really, putting his hand into his side. its where your spleen is. And, And so Thomas gets what faith is all about. And we know that he gets faith. What he, he gets that what faith is all about because of this kind of weird story that happens to Thomas after all of this happens, because uh, and this is not from Scripture. This is a completely outside story. And so it may be true. It may be not. But at least it's a good story. And it kind of lets us know the trajectory of Thomas's life. According to historical accounts, it appears that Thomas, after he was with the disciples for a little while, what he did was he went and he went to India. In fact, there's a fun little story about how Thomas was a carpenter and how Thomas was in the middle of the market while he was in Jerusalem. And because he was a carpenter and he would go and he would say, well, I am a slave to a carpenter. Because Jesus also was a carpenter. He was a, the word was tecton, which is probably bigger than carpenter. It's probably more like general contractor. But it just doesn't have the same ring. You can't put that on a bumper sticker. My boss is a general contractor. It doesn't really work. Um, But you have this sense where he said, well, my master is a carpenter and I, too, am a carpenter. And uh, there's this story about how he's in the marketplace and he sees this vision of Jesus. And Jesus goes and he sells him as a slave. Always a fun little weird Jesus story there. When Jesus is selling you as a slave, it's hard enough for us to grasp that we are Jesus's slaves. But then when he sells us. Oh, boy. But he sells him as a slave to the king of India, this guy named Gudafara. And so he sells him to this king of India, and he is a carpenter. That's what he does. And so somehow we find out that Thomas ends up, maybe it was because of this vision, maybe it wasn't, but Thomas seems to have ended up in India. There's plenty of evidence that at least somebody named Thomas who was a Christian ended up in India at some point in time. And maybe it was the Thomas, the twin, the guy who almost stuck his finger into Jesus's side. And it says that Thomas did this really cool thing with this king of India because Thomas was a builder, right? And so what do you ask for a builder if you're a king? You say, hey, Thomas, I want you to build me a castle well palace but i always think castles are more fun so we'll think castle i want you to build me a castle and thomas goes deal i will do that for you give me some money because he needs to buy supplies he needs to go to lowe's he needs to go to home depot he needs to go to granger And so he gets all of this money and then he goes out into the countryside and he begins to take out his wad of cash and he goes up to poor people and he goes, how much do you need? There you go. And he goes up to the next poor person. How much do you need? Okay, there you go. He goes up to the next person. He goes, how much do you need? Okay, there you go. And he spends all of the money. Well... Pretty soon, the Indian king starts to get a little bit worried. He's not seeing a big groundbreaking ceremony. There's not a golden shovel involved anywhere. And he's starting to go, hey, Thomas, what'd you do with my cash? And Thomas has the gall to walk in to Goudafars court and to say, I am almost done building you your castle. And Gudafara says, where is it? And Thomas says back, well, you can't see it now, but you will see it on the day that you die. Because on the day that you die, you will see all of the good work that I have done with the money that you have provided for me, you will see all of these good deeds that I have done to all of these poor people. And this is a lasting castle. This is a lasting way to live your life. And it will last far longer than any piece of stone and wood that I put together. Well, Goudafara, we think, kills him. Sorry. But it shows that Thomas got it. Thomas got what it is to have faith. That what it is to have faith is to believe that Jesus has already shown up in your life to believe that Jesus is building a castle with your life, with every little itsy-bitsy thing that you do for your neighbor, every time that you are serving your neighbor, every time you're loving your neighbor, every time that you are doing an act of worship, every time that you're praying, all of these things, that they are all bricks in this massive, beautiful structure that God is creating through you. You. As good works that he has laid out before you. Because you are his workmanship. That the things that you do, even though that you may not see them here as bricks in this wall or as other things. That we have faith. That we have a God who not only has saved us from our sins, but he has granted us a new life in which... He has given to us the ability to build in his kingdom. And not that that building is going to make us greater people, but all of that building is going to show the greatness of the one who saved us. The greatness of the one who has saved made us as his workmanship and has created us for good works in advance so that we might walk in them. That's the way that Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. And that is what faith is. That we can see what Gutaphara could not. And that is what belief is. That we, like Thomas, might say, I don't need to put my hand out there and feel that this is happening. I trust that God is making it happen. And so when I tell you your sins are forgiven and you don't feel like they are, they still are. And so when I say this is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and it doesn't taste that way, it still is. And when I say this baptism includes you into God's family and you still feel like you're an orphan, you still are his son and his daughter. Because you can see like Thomas did. Amen.